Wednesday, we left off in verse 1 of this chapter, and we will begin now in chapter 2 again, um, going back to this passage, and we'll just read actually uh, the first three verses of the passage, but then we're, keep your Bibles open, of course, here in Ruth. We're going to be looking at several of the passages that are present uh, within um, this book. Of course, we know it's only four chapters, but yet I want us to do somewhat of an overview and a sense of uh, this portion of the text and, and the emphasis of what is taking place within this portion of the text. And so I want you to uh, keep the, your Bibles, of course, handy, if you will, and open, because we're going to be referencing several verses within this passage for that very reason. So we begin in chapter 2, and we'll look at verse uh, 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field, and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. If you recall with me, you would remember that we actually have seen throughout our study thus far, um, through the overview of the book, and as well, of course, through our study through chapter 1 and even beginning chapter 2 in our last time together, that this book of Ruth is important, obviously, for several reasons, one of them being that it's not only a representation of redemption, as we see with Boaz and Ruth and the fact that they had left the land of of God's blessing and provision during the time of uh, famine, which, of course, was due to their own sin, not, not Elimelech and his family, but because of the people of God, because of their sins, And famine, as Leviticus tells us, God would strike the land with famine when they disobeyed him, were in rebellion against him. And so we understand that throughout this account that God provides Boaz for the sake of Ruth, sending Ruth with Naomi, and whereas Orpah turned back and went back to her homeland, back to her, her false gods and to her people. And we see, though, that not only does this represent redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, which obviously there's many parallels from which we can glean and we can benefit from as we consider them, but more importantly, Boaz and Ruth are part of the redemptive purpose of God as, of course, through their lineage, through their offspring, the Lord Jesus would actually be born or come into the flesh. And so it's important to remember that. Last week, we began our study of Ruth chapter 2, as I mentioned, verse 1 says, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. As we saw, just by quick review this evening, Boaz, the man who redeemed Ruth, would of course then marry her, as we are told in the text, and together become a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, as I've mentioned, which is significant both historically and as a representation of the redemption that God has provided in Jesus Christ. In verse 1, we we are told, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Verse 1 then tells us that he was a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. Then verse 3 tells us, that in the latter part, that Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And as I've mentioned to you previously, the noun family in verse 1 of the family of Elimelech and the noun kindred in verse 3, the kindred of Elimelech, is the same Hebrew word translated here. And the meaning of the word is extended family or clan. 
And so it speaks of Elimelech's clan. It's his extended family. They were actually related here, obviously. Verse 1 goes on to say, a mighty man of wealth. And the term mighty man means manly or vigorous. It's hero or champion. And the mention of wealth is one which is referring to faculty, to power, to strength. It's that of being competent, brave. It also is referring to landowner, army, or upper class. So as we see demonstrated throughout the interactions of Boaz with Ruth, this term mighty man of wealth, although it would include monetary value, it is, very, is, is much more than a statement of Boaz's monetary value alone. This descriptive language concerning Boaz is a testimony to his character. And as I previously mentioned throughout his interactions with Ruth again, Boaz demonstrates grace and heroic behavior. And so we see a man that is living up to the meaning of his very name, that which his name is derived. Uh, and so we understand that to be true. Now from these first few verses in chapter 2 of this great book of redemption's love story, as we've titled this entire book, we find that the emphasis of the book from this point forward, chapter 2 moving on, is that of Ruth's growing relationship and fellowship, which resulted ultimately in a marital covenant relationship with Boaz. Love's manifestation is demonstrated through both Boaz and Ruth, and this is interesting, you need to see this. While Boaz is the one who is working behind the scenes, even as our text will go on to say in chapter 2, and we'll look at some of that this evening, he is the one who's working behind the scenes to draw Ruth to himself and to provide for her. Ruth, in turn, because of the love and grace that Boaz showed her, begins to reciprocate a love for Boaz. John explained this truth in terms of God's eternal redemptive purpose of the, it, how it affects the life of the believer in his first epistle, in 1 John 4, 19. And John is speaking of, of wonderful truths here in his entire epistle, and I, we've spent weeks and months even dealing with 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, working through those. But if you recall with me, he says in 1 John four nineteen, and you're very familiar with this verse, we love him because he first loved us. Now let me... Let me actually work through something here that is a misrepresentation or misunderstanding often of this verse. Many people would read this verse as though it is saying, we love him because he first manifested his love toward us. But that's not what John says. Remember, the death of Christ, according to Romans and John's epistle, the death of the sacrifice of Christ is the greatest demonstration and manifestation of God's love. It is not the beginning of God's love. God's love is an eternal love. And we only love him because he first loved us. Listen, Ruth does reciprocate love to Boaz and great thankfulness and worship even in a sense, meaning acknowledging that she's not worthy of such favor. That's what I mean. Not man worshiping Boaz, but understanding that who am I that you would acknowledge me who is a stranger, she goes on to say. So Boaz here has shown great favor and kindness to Ruth which Ruth did not deserve. And Ruth is not showing favor or love for Boaz prior to Boaz showing that to Ruth. And Boaz is in a position to do so, whereas Ruth is just trying to get help anywhere she can. But that didn't mean that she loved the one who helped her necessarily, but in this case, that is exactly what happened. The one who helped her is the one who loved her and showed that love, and it was reciprocated back to Boaz. From the moment we've been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, it obviously should be that there is a continual growth in our relationship 
and a growing intimacy or desire of our fellowship to continue to mature with him. In 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, Peter says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now this verse in 1 Peter, it's interesting. It is not declarative. It is imperative. And what does that mean? It means it's not just stating a, a fact as though saying, as, as newborn babes desire sincere milk, or, the, or desire milk, so should you. That's not what he says. He's saying, as a newborn babe, you desire. He's commanding here, not saying, oh, this is how it should be. He's saying, no, as a newborn babe, you are to desire. The sincere milk of the word. For what purpose? So that you might grow thereby. But then there is this statement, if so be. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So if you've received of the grace of God in redemption, then there's going to be a desire within you is what Peter is saying. And make sure that desire is present for the sincere milk of the word. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, we're told. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18, but grow in grace. That's another command. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Peter commands the believer to remain steadfast, to not fall into error, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So before we begin to delve into these verses in chapter 2, which progressively reveal the details of the relationship between Boaz and Ruth as it developed, I believe it is important for us to consider the importance of this relationship and its continued growth. So here's what I would ask. We talk about growing in faith, we talk about growing in Christ, we talk about growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, we talk about spiritual maturity, we talk about spiritual fruit, we talk about the results of all of this. So here's the, here's the question, how does this growth look within one's life? What does spiritual growth even look like? Now we can talk about all the fruit that will be present as scripture clearly tells us, but let me just give you a very basic, simple example of this. I don't know that I have ever in my lifetime, in a serious conversation, heard a preteen, adolescent, preteen, or teenager talk about how they can't wait to become a grandparent. I don't think I've ever heard that. Have you? Now, there may be some conversation they have about one day when I get old, when I turn 30. <laughs> but you think about it with me for a moment. Teenagers are not consumed with, one day I'm going to be a grandparent. That's the furthest thing from their mind. However, young people who are mentally and physically healthy, follow this with me now, I'm, I'm trying to help you to see something in a physical sense that is so true spiritually and we often fail to recognize this. Young people who are mentally and physically healthy desire to grow and mature, but that doesn't mean they think about being a grandparent. What do they think about? Most preteens are looking forward to the day that they can drive a car. At least when I was growing up, that's how it is, or how it was. Most older teens are looking forward to the day that they will either get married, or go to college, or begin a career. 
Most married couples anticipate the day that they will have children. And most parents anticipate the day that they will become grandparents. Yet this is all a process of growth and maturity. As believers in Jesus Christ, there is a process to our maturity as we become even more conformed to the image of Jesus. This process, as that of physical maturity, is defined in stages. A new believer, for instance, will exhibit a desire to serve the Lord from a heart of gratitude for this great salvation. And as one begins to mature in the faith, there will be an overwhelming desire within that believer to know more of this Jesus who has redeemed him as he continues to serve the Lord and worship him alone. As one further matures in the faith, there will be a growing hatred for this world and its wickedness and a continued passion for an eternity that awaits to be with the Lord. You know, you will find that believers, as they mature in in physical age, but also in spiritual maturity, that they will begin to talk more about that which awaits in eternity than they did when they were first born again. And there's a reason for that. There is a process of maturity and growth. So as believers in Jesus Christ, this process to our maturity is Evident as we continue to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And it's something that we must recognize. We find this very indication of growth in the relationship of Ruth with Boaz. Let's consider this for a moment. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 13. You don't have to read all of them with me. I'm going to read a couple of verses here out of that. Ruth is, works in the field of Boaz and gives thanks to Boaz, even falling down at his feet. In chapter 2, verse 2, this is what Ruth says. Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Now, Ruth did not know where she would find grace. She wasn't aware of that at this point. Now, God was working all of this and according to his providential purpose and plan. But Ruth was unaware of where she would find this grace. But here she is going, I, I just want to go work. She's not saying, I'll sit back, wait for somebody. No, she's, I want to go work in this field and wherever I can find grace. That's where I will be. Chapter 2, verse 10. Then she fell on her face. Look at the difference here. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, to Boaz, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now notice this. This is very interesting. Here Ruth is saying, Oh, I want to go to a field and so I can work. And whoever will give, be gracious to me to allow me that privilege, I will work there. But notice, Boaz does more than just allow her to work there. We'll see where Boaz is working when, she see, when he sees her, and he begins to inform those of his own workers and the reapers and such. He's saying, hey, let, not only let her remain here, but remember, there's going to be handfuls of purpose that are left behind for her that she has an abundance above and beyond what she even needed, above and beyond what she ever imagined. And here Ruth is saying, she goes saying, I will go work where I can find grace. But once Boaz demonstrates favor and grace to her, notice her response. She is bowing at his feet, humbly recognizing, I don't deserve this. I do not deserve this. Why are you you showing me favor? Now, she went out looking for grace. And this was God's providential work. There's so much that has already worked behind the scenes bringing her to this point. We know that. But yet she's saying, once she receives that grace, it's not like, well, I knew I'd find grace somewhere out there. No, she is overwhelmed at the grace that she has been shown. 
Notice chapter 2, 14 through 23. Again, we don't have to read all of it. I'll read a couple of verses from this as well. We're looking at this spiritual growth. Remember, we're, we're not getting into these verses yet. Let me remind you, we're, before we delve into chapter 2, 1, 2, 3, and following, we're, I wanted to give you somewhat of an overview of the importance of the rest of this book showing us the continued maturity and fellowship, the growth and development of this relationship with Boaz. It continues to develop. So that's what we're looking at. So Ruth is given a place second, not only working in the field, but she's given a place at the table of Boaz with the other workers of his field. Look at chapter 214. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. Who reached her parched corn? Boaz did. Are you seeing what's happening here? Here she is saying, I'm just going to go somewhere and look for some grace. Someone to show me favor that I might glean and work in their field. She finds grace from Boaz, but it is so much above and beyond what she ever imagined. And she says, who am I that you would show me favor? Who am I that you'd let me work in your field? Who am I that you would leave extra for me, provision for me? But it goes beyond that. At this point now, not only does she have a place to work in the field, in his field, but he's provided her a place at the table in which he provides for her. That which she never deserved. Beyond what she could ever dream. Beyond what she expected. Verse 23 of chapter 2. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she continued there. She was given a place. Chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 13 Ruth commits herself to Boaz and becomes his wife, resulting in a life with Boaz and bearing fruit through having his children. Look at Ruth 3, 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Ruth 3, 10. By the way, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Let me just stop here for a moment. She's looking for grace somewhere. Boaz shows her grace and letting her be in his field. Then he shows her grace beyond that and saying, you come eat with us, with my other workers, and gives her a place at the table. Then he reaches corn to her. He feeds her, provides for her. He gives her more than she could ever expect, more than she was asking for. And you find her saying, why would you do this for me? Who am I? I'm a stranger. You owe me nothing. She's acknowledging that. You should not be doing this. There's no reason for you to be doing this. I have nothing to offer you. And then where do you find her? At his feet. She goes and lays at his feet. Now there's, of course, cultural significance to what's taking place here, but the point being, now she goes and uncovers his feet, lays at his feet at the place where he is. Verse 10 of chapter 3. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. We're talking about spiritual maturity and growth in the life of the believer. That's what, the fellowship becoming enriched even all the more. And as Ruth is being courted by Boaz, if you will, and drawn to Boaz in this relationship, notice this. Obviously, Ruth was not an ugly woman. Boaz obviously was a man of influence, of wealth. He could have chosen others, no doubt, even of his own 
of his, of his own home right there. But yet, notice what he does. He has his eye on Ruth, and he gives grace and shows grace to her and love for her and demonstrates that to her to the point where she is overwhelmed. And so much so, notice this, that it is Boaz alone who now has the eye of Ruth. He says, blessed are you, for you didn't go after those who are rich or poor or young or whatever. He says, you're not following after these men, but she is committed to Boaz alone. Ruth 4, 9 and 10. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Verses 21 and 22, and Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. All those who have been spiritually born again will demonstrate spiritual life, which is to say there inevitably will be spiritual growth. Just as physical growth is not always at the same rate or in the same manner, physical growth is present all the same. And likewise, while not every believer demonstrates the same rate of spiritual growth, as though it can be measured by time through comparison with others, spiritual growth will be present where there is spiritual life. So let's begin to look at some of the spiritual growth. The provision for spiritual growth, first, verse 1. So the question would be asked, what was the driving force of motivation for Ruth to know Boaz? Why would Ruth even want to know Boaz? What is the point in all of this? Why is she, why is she attracted to him in any way or fashion? Look at verse 1 again. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, and even though Ruth was from Moab, Boaz was able to relate to her. Boaz would never be a part of Moab. But he was willing to make Ruth, who was a Moabitess, a part of his family. The Lord Jesus, as you know, humbled himself to identify with you and me. In Philippians 2, 7 and 8, again, part of the, the Carmen Christi as we refer to it. But made himself, Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we understand there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And we also understand that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. For this very reason, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. You have to understand, the only draw there is for any of us towards God is that God makes us aware that through Jesus Christ, His Son, He can relate to us. Because here's the reality of it. We cannot relate to him. We cannot relate to God. Remember, we, we talked about this how the, in Colossians, how that he is the very image of the invisible God. He is the one who is mani God has manifested, the Father has manifested who he is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ that we have this connection that otherwise we could never have apart from Christ. 
Second, he was motivated to know Boaz because Boaz was a man of character. He was a mighty man, the Scripture says. As we've already discovered, Boaz represents the Lord Jesus as Redeemer without this, throughout this account. And one of the root words for the name Boaz, it literally means might and strength. Here Ruth is in a new land, she now has a new life, and yet everything she once found security in is gone. Her husband had died, she is now a widow. That being said, Naomi's older, of course. She, Ruth, has no one to provide for her. She has no one to protect her. And although we have nothing as well, obviously, to glory, and although we have nothing to claim of our own, we have a near kinsman who is mighty, who has plenty. And, and he is not ashamed to give to us that which is his. He is not ashamed to identify with us. Notice this with a minute, for a moment. Ruth had everything to gain if she would be able to identify with Boaz. But Boaz did not gain anything by identifying with Ruth. In fact, it cost him to do so. Then Boaz also was a man of resource, a, man of, a mighty man of wealth, the Scripture says. Boaz was known for wealth. And what a contrast between Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was a woman who was poor and had nothing, yet she had a relative who was rich and had plenty. Boaz was a man of means with plenty, yet he had relatives who were poor and had nothing. Is it not true that when we realized as believers now in Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed, when we came to understand by the grace of God, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, a change of mind concerning who God is and who Jesus is, isn't it true that when we were left destitute, having no claims of our own, that we found the reality to be true that Jesus is all we ever needed? <laughs> Ephesians 1.3, you know the verse very well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If one is to spiritually grow, the reality is there must be a desire to spiritually grow. Ruth had that. Ruth wanted to be around Boaz. She wanted to be working in his field. She wanted to be at his table. She wanted to be at his feet. She wanted to be his bride. But that only happened because Boaz showed grace to her. Are you not aware that surely there were other women working in the field? But it's Ruth who found grace in the eyes of Boaz. John said it like this. He must increase, but I must decrease. Spiritual growth and maturity is not centered on who you are or coming to understand who you are. Spiritual growth and maturity is solely based on who Jesus is and coming to understand who Jesus is. Paul said it like this, Philippians 3, 7 through 10. We read part of this previously. and Well, actually, we studied this out throughout our study of Philippians months ago. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Remember, the word suffer here, Paul's not saying, woe is me. Well, look at what I had to give up. No, he's saying, I willingly forfeited everything to know Jesus. And be found in him, he goes on to say, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, or faithfulness of Christ, 
the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Do you see what Paul is saying? He says again, all of my resume, my impressive resume of Benjamin, a Benjamite, he said, I, I, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, concerning the law, there was none that could compare to me in keeping of the law. Paul is talking about all these things that almost look as though he's bragging about them. But he only does so again so that he might show how inferior all of that was to the superiority of Jesus Christ and knowing him. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, that I may know him. See, that's where Ruth is. Oh, I want to know this, Boaz. I want to get to know him more. I want to know more about him. I want to know more who he is. And it's only, though, because of the grace shown to her by Boaz that has drawn her in to know him more. Every believer in Jesus Christ, those who have genuinely been redeemed, hear me, as newborn babes, not as newborn babes desire the sincere milk. No, as newborn babes, comma, you desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Believers in Jesus Christ desire to know him more. If you understand the grace you've received, then you are humbled that you would receive such grace. And if you are humbled that you would receive such grace, then you find yourself before God saying, Lord, I did not deserve this. You have been shown me far and above that which I could ever deserve and even more than I would have ever asked for. You have given me in Jesus Christ. And you know where you'll find yourself? You'll find yourself at his feet learning more of him and focused and committed to him alone. That's where you find Ruth. There are two things that stand out concerning Ruth in her pursuit to get to know Boaz or pursuit of knowing Boaz. First of all, we've seen this already. She desired to serve in the field of Boaz. She said, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. Ruth was aware that if that she would die, and so would Naomi. They would die if she did not go out to the field to glean. And to just sit at home was not an option. Might I say to you as well, spiritually speaking, for those who are believers in Christ, one evidence of spiritual maturity and growth is a desire to know and to serve the Lord, which will be manifested as well by service to others. John deals with that as well. Remember, he says, we love him because he first loved us. But in the same chapter, John goes and deals with the fact that how can you claim that you love God whom you can't see while you possess no love for your brothers whom you do see? And the point John is making is that if God, he being to the believer, not to all people, to the believer, he is love. And he is love to the believer. And if he is love to the believer then how can he who is loved dwell within us without that love being present and manifested? This is one of the signs of spiritual life and the evidences, as John would point out throughout his epistle. But then notice second, he was also dependent on the grace of Boaz. Again, she said, after in, whom, in whose sight I shall find grace. So let me go glean in the field, but I'm going to do it within the field of the one who shows me grace. Ruth knew, and here's the point, understand this, Ruth knew that her success in her labor was solely dependent upon the grace and favor of another. Ruth could go out all she wanted to, but if she did not find grace in the sight of the master, then everything she did would be useless, pointless, meaningless. Hear me. Even as 
as believers in Christ and as those who would profess to know Christ and yet know not Christ. The point of the matter is this. Any labor, any work, anything that is accomplished, we must understand that we are totally dependent upon the grace of another, the Master. We may have a desire and may be busy working and doing all we know to do in a genuine effort to spiritually grow. However, our growth depends upon the grace of our Lord Jesus. 2 Peter 3.18, we read this earlier. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Why would he say such a thing? He's saying, oh, we grow in grace. Whose grace? God's grace. In his favor, in his kindness, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory. Why? Because he's the one who shows the grace. Both now and forever, amen. Ruth knew she was dependent upon another's grace. Even with the deepest desire to grow, the grace of another is the catalyst to spiritual growth. It's the goodness of God by which we grow. It's not our desire. It's not our effort. It's not our labor. It's the grace of God, the goodness and grace of God. Third, God's provision for spiritual growth in verses 2 and 3 we see. Look, look at those verses with me. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field, glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. This is an interesting statement. Of all the parts of the field that were available for Ruth to glean, she found herself in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And notice what the scripture says, and her hat was to lie on part of the field belonging to Boaz. Here's what that's saying. From Ruth's perspective, she just happened to find herself in Boaz's field. It, it, it's as though it was coincidence. Now, we know there is no such thing providentially God works, but yet from her perspective, it just so happened. It was just coincidental that she finds herself in Boaz's field. But let us be mindful of this truth. And what I'm about to say, I'm saying to emphasize this truth. Ruth's quote-unquote accident was in actuality God's providence so what she saw as something that just happened to be it's just coincidental that this is no it's not that at all it is the providence of god how many people have just accidentally if you will found themselves exposed to the gospel or for some crazy unknown reason wake up one morning going I think we maybe should go to church. <laughs> now, we know we don't go to church. We are the church. But you know the terminology. They just show up or they start talking to people. I, I, let me share something here. I didn't even think about this till just now. Years ago, when I was 19, like five years ago, um, back then, I worked with a young guy. Actually, probably my age or a little bit, a couple years older. So he was a young man too. And... I talked with him. I liked him. He worked, he, 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 our jobs were such in which he would have to interact with me some, not constantly, but regularly enough. And so I would get to talk to him a little bit. And I began to talk to him some. We talked about the Lord some. He came from a religious background. And, he, and we talked some. Well, <laughs> I, I talked to him and he would talk to me. 
And one day he tells me, he says, yeah, man, he said, I, I, uh, I kind of, I got rid of all my music. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, I just, I kind of don't want to listen to it anymore. And he was into all types of stuff, you know. I was going, okay. Not long after that, he comes back and he says, man, I went to my grandma's church. He said, Lord, save me. Now, look, here this guy is, spent who knows, and that's before he had digital music, okay? Who knows how many hundreds or thousands of dollars he had spent in all types of music, tapes, CDs, whatever. And yet, all of a sudden, he has this urging to just kind of get rid of it. Why would you do that? And then he goes to his grandma's church, right? Why? You know what was happening? God was working behind the scenes, demonstrating favor and grace to this boy, I saw him years later. I mean, my wife and I saw him in the mall. I hadn't seen him in literally in decades, I guess. A decade or so, maybe more, 15, 16, maybe up to 20 years. And I see him in the mall. And I, and I just saw him standing right there at the front of a, in, in the mall area over at Regency. That's how long ago this has been. And you all laugh. <laughs> and I, I hollered his name. I was like, Talvin. And he turns around, proven. And so we start talking. He's involved in his church, has a family, serving God. And I'm just going, wow. Look at how God works. Look at what God does. Look at the grace of God. But notice, here he is. It just happens that he starts thinking his music is repulsive. It just happens that he goes to church with his grandma when really he was not active at that point at all in the church. It just happens. All according to God's providence. As God would work and draw. So Ruth's quote-unquote accident, which there's no such thing, was really God's providence. Romans 8.28, you know this verse. Paul writes and says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But what is that purpose? The next verse tells us that God is predetermined that we be Conform to the image of his son. All this is for our good. We know the Lord works things for our good. We know that. We don't always understand the way he works, but we know that we can trust him. Some years back, I read an account of a, of a farmer who was planning to burn one of his fields. And as he went through the fields prior to burning, examining everything, he came across this bird's nest in a small tree. And so he took and he dismantled the bird's nest. He came back the next day or so. You know what he found? The bird's nest. So he took it again and dismantled and threw it to the ground. And he did this two or three times. Finally, the birds kind of caught on and got the message, I think, and they forsook that tree and found themselves somewhere else. No doubt, obviously, the birds, as much as they can comprehend or think through this, as much as is possible, no doubt they felt as though this was an act totally against them. Here they are working, labor, and building this nest, and every time they come back, it's torn down, it's gone. What is happening here, right? So they labor all the more. They just rebuild, rework, and do all of this. And they felt as though, no doubt, that there was somewhere, somehow, this force that was just destroying their plans and ruining their future. Yet what they did not realize, obviously, is there was an unseen hand to them that was actually saving them from certain destruction. And so it is 
There is no doubt that Ruth had never dreamed that day as she was out laboring in that field that she had providentially been placed there by the unseen hand of God. And though the grace and through the grace of Boaz, Ruth and Naomi, Naomi both were provided for in a way that they went far above and beyond what they could ever dream. They found the provision of Boaz to both be sufficient and satisfying. Then last, God's glory. Boaz was pleased to have Ruth in his field. He, he, he as much as says so. He tells them to watch out for her. He tells her to leave handfuls of purpose on her, on her behalf. He tells them to make certain that nobody messes with her. He's, he's protecting her. He is providing for her. And she doesn't realize all this is going on. We're told that's happening. She doesn't know that. And yet she's benefiting from it all the while. It was at his expense that he was doing so, and yet he received pleasure providing for Ruth. We are reaping the blessings of the Father at the expense of Christ, and yet it pleased him to provide for us. Ephesians 1, 8, 9, wherein he hath abounded, God the Father hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. This pleases God to show us this grace. We have the privilege to not only serve our Lord, but he has provided us a place at his table in which we can feed on his word, rejoicing in his provision as we continue to grow in fellowship with him. It's a process of continued growth and maturity. Again, what teenager ever says, I can't wait to become a grandparent. But as one matures and grows, their desires begin to change. Their focus begins to change. Their outlook begins to change. And so it is spiritually, as the people of God following after Christ, He is continually working, transforming us, conforming us to the image of His Son. And we grow and develop in our fellowship with him who is our heavenly father and his provision for us our lord jesus christ his son god is providentially working not only to bring us to redemption but as believers in christ god is providentially working to develop us mature us in the faith we might continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him remember this you will not appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you as you should. None of us will ever appreciate it as we should in this lifetime. But we fail in appreciating as we should what Christ has done because in most cases, we fail in understanding who he is. But as we grow in understanding our knowledge of him, you know what that does? As Ruth began to understand from the favor shown, shown to her from Boaz, who am I? I'm a stranger. Why would you show me such grace and favor? But let us understand, that wasn't the extent of our knowledge of Boaz. For in the fourth chapter, you know what you find? He becomes his wife. No doubt, Ruth never dreamed in a million years while she's working in a field of this man that that man would one day take her to be his wife.
What grace. What love. What a demonstration of grace and love. Why would Ruth not want to know him? Might I say to you, or ask this simple question, many profess to know Jesus tonight. Many say they are believers. Many say they follow him. Listen, if there's no desire to know him, it's because you don't know him. Those who know him will desire to continue to know him. How could you not? Let's pray together. Father.